All right, I will. Uh, I'll I'll intro and intro you guys. Excellent. All right, so let me just take, let's all take a break for a couple of secs. Hi, everybody. Steve Mitchell here with another True Believers podcast, and today I am joined by returning champions Mark Chirello and Cyrus Voris. Guys, good to be here with you. Hey, fellas. Hey, Mark. Hey, Steve. Thanks for having us. Well, always a pleasure. Uh, tonight's topic or today's topic, we're recording this in the evening, is something that is something we talk about a lot when the three of us get together, together or separately for lunch when we talk about comics. We're all old comics fans. And this is a topic that I can imagine is something that a lot of people have talked about in the course of just kind of rating or placing some of their favorites or people who they would believe are the greats of the business. And today's topic is who would be on your Mount Rushmore of comics? And we're going to try and divide it into three different topics. We're going to start with artists and we're probably going to go to writers and who knows, maybe even anchors now, because I was an anchor for 25 years, fellas, I expect to be on Mount Rushmore. <laughs> so if you don't, Steve, can you be on Mount Rushmore with a chisel and hammer, uh, actually chiseling one of your kinking heroes, the faces on Mount Rushmore, or do you have to actually be a uh, carved into Mount Rushmore yourself, Steve? I'll take it any way I can get it, but I don't expect to get carved in or, or whatever. So, but uh, this will be perhaps might be the most interesting of categories, not because it was my discipline, but I think there's a lot of variables at play here. Of course. So um, why don't you start Mark with your first one? Uh, where's my list? Inker, 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 Inker. Klaus Janssen. Interesting. Okay. Number one, right out of the gate. With well, Klaus. again, I, 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 he was the easy one for me. I, um, uh, I, I'm not putting any of the four in, in any real order, so I'm just putting Klaus up, up front. So that was a little bit of a shock and awe kind of... Uh, <laughs> shock and awe pick. Right. Well, okay, Sigh. Uh, uh, here's, here's what I'm going to say. I'm going to say that I have a feeling that all of our first picks will end up on Mount Rushmore, just in different order. Interesting. Okay. Now, uh, maybe for sense of argument, we'll go beyond that. I'm going to say, uh, Joe Sinnott. Um, uh, again, the way Kirby was the sort of face of comics, uh, I feel, uh, being the face of Marvel, which was basically the face of comics until Neil Adams comes in. I think Sinnott was the face of in the face of Marvel inking until Neil Adams comes in, the face of inking. He just had this slick sheen to him and he inked all those great Kirby Fantastic Fours. Yeah. Uh, and he really and the way Jack was sort of the house style of Marvel, Sinnott was sort of the house. He was Jack's anchor. He was Jack's arguably best anchor. And well, he was great on Buscema, too. Yeah, great, Buscema, great on anybody. Yeah, he was the Marvel anchor. Hey, real, real quick, um, just uh, for clarification. So we're, when we say anchors, we're talking about 
uh, someone who inks over a different artist's pencils, yes. not themselves. Yes. yes. Correct. Yes. Okay. Because you, you, you know, Steve mentioned Joe Kubert. There was never a better inker than Joe Kubert. Yeah, but I mean, oh. Joe Kubert inked his own stuff. Exactly. Yeah, right. Exactly. But we're gotcha. talking about inkers. Yeah, inkers. Gotcha. 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 Okay. So since we're 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 into doing the shock and awe thing, even though Sinnet might have been my first choice, I'm going to say Al Williamson. Ooh. Ooh. Okay. That's good. I, I, I will, I, Al's I on my list. Al's on my list, but I didn't know that he was going to be your first pick, Steve. I'm well, gonna, uh, I, I'm only doing it because of the whole the the way we're approaching this. Now, I might have <laughs> picked some. I might have picked somebody else as my first, but I figure I'll get a. I got ooze out of you, so it must have worked. Uh, Al Williamson was an extraordinary artist. Period. But I knew Al, and Al was very slow, and Al would sweat every line pencil and ink when he would draw something a pencil and ink his own work and then one day al became for my money at the time probably the best working inker in comics because every single time i would see al ink somebody else god damn it he sort of did the best version on that particular penciler whether it was a guy like kurt swan or john ramita jr uh I, he even inked Colin in a very interesting way. Um, John Buscema, John Buscema. And John Buscema, oh my God, the stuff they did together. I know I was still inking and I would have usually have a lot of those comics nearby just to either steal or be influenced by what, you know, what Al was doing. And what was interesting about Al's work, and this goes to sort of the craft of inking, Al's work had the unique personal stamp of his style but he never destroyed the penciling style of the penciler he was inking. So in a sense, he was enhancing it, embellishing it, which is a word I, I learned from Stan with the credits in the 60s. <laughs> but I just think that Al was a hugely impactful guy. And I know that in his own way, he did influence guys at the time. Um, so Al is one of my guys on Mount Rushmore as an inker. Yeah, I love it. I love it. Mark, um, number two. Uh, well, I do have Sinnott there, so I'll throw him up. Yeah, sure. Sinnott. All right, and 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 Cy, you're number two, but my well, number I'm... my number two is going to be Sinnott anyway. So, okay, I'm shocked by your order, Steve, but so I'm going to jump the line and I'm going to give you my number. Well, got to be forehead. We're just thinking foreheads on a big piece no, of no, rock. No, so. I'm going to give my number two that I know probably was your number one, but for some reason you decided to shake things up and be be uh, a wise guy. Uh, Tom, <laughs> Tom Palmer. Tom Palmer, right. for crying out loud. Uh, as much as I love Klaus Jansen, you don't get Klaus Jansen without Tom Palmer first. True. Um. In many ways, Klaus was the heir to Tom Palmer. Yep. Uh, he was what? doing everything Tom was doing just in a slightly different way, in his own his own uh, particular uh, I, I think I think of Klaus as a synthesis of Palmer and and Giordano. Yeah, that's perfect. That's perfect, actually. But Palmer, my God, he was it's what you said about Williamson. I would say this. Williamson being everybody's best inker in the 80s 
if you kick that over to Paul, the 70s, then you basically say that about Palmer. He was, I mean, people forget he inked Neil Adams and he was amazing on Adams. He inked uh, Gene Colan, amazing on Gene Colan. He inked, uh, he inked Stranko. People forget. Yeah, he did. A couple of those Captain America jobs that Stranko did were inked by Palmer and Palmer did a phenomenal job on Stranko. Yeah. So I think, yeah, I mean, Palmer's an obvious choice for the Mount Rushmore. And I know Steve, I know he's one of your four. I'm just shocked you didn't name him as number one. Well, you know, again, I was not just, going, we're not doing order. So we're not doing an order. So <laughs> I, I was just doing, I was doing that to shake things up. But I would say from my number two, Palmer is definitely there. Um, and, and he's number two only because I'm mentioning him second. Right, right, right. I will say this. The thing about Palmer's work was he was really good right out of the gate. And I remember as a kid, when I saw his work, I said, Tom Palmer, that's got to be one of those bullshits, you know, pseudonyms that Marvel, <laughs> that Marvel was famous for back in the day. Uh, but in point of fact, that was his name. And all I know is he was great when he showed up and just got better. Yeah, and yeah. when I would ink a comic that I would feel somewhat smug about saying, yeah, I think I did a pretty nice job here. Then I'd see a Tom Palmer story and then I would go, no, 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 I, I, I stink. Palmer's the gold standard. I got to work harder on the next one. Yeah. You know, he kept us, he kept us honest. I think anybody who, who inked for discipline, I think was kept honest by somebody like Palmer. Yeah. Uh, well played. Yeah. You know, you know that thing when someone passes and everybody goes, oh, he was the he was the nicest guy. Tom, you know, if we do a who are the four nicest guys, Mount Rushmore, <laughs> Tom, Tom is absolutely on that Mount Rushmore. That's funny. The nicest guy. Um, you could do that one, actually. <laughs> yeah. Who's doing who's number three? Who's doing number three? Well, All right. I'll, 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 do, do, I'll do it real quick. Palmer. Okay. I also. I have Palmer as my number three. Okay. All uh, right, then I'll I'll do my number three. Uh, Dick Giordano. Mm -hmm. That that Dick was a guy who started out kind of as a little bit. His stuff was not as cartoony. It didn't have the cartoony brushiness of a uh, of a Sinnet or even a Frank Giacoya, you know, who was a contemporary of, of Sinnet's. Uh, but Dick sort of was one of the first people that was heavily influenced by Neil because they uh, partly because they worked together. They, they had a, 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 an advertising studio and, and, and Dick kind of absorbed a lot of what Neil brought to the dance and Dick sort of became the sort of the dependable go-to DC anchor. And Dick's work was very crafted it was, you know, he drew well. So his uh, that, that influenced his work. But he had an interesting line. His line was sort of not quite a comic book line, not quite an Ill illustrative line. But Dick made everybody he inked look better. And I just think when you think of all of, uh, of all of the pages and all of the covers and all of the work that he did, there was a sort of consistency to his work that never really changed. I don't, there's a thing that we talk about privately where I, I say that, you know, sometimes guys lose their hands, their hands aren't as good as they were at one time. And I think Dick's hands were, you know, like Palmer's obviously uh, stayed really good and crafted 
uh, throughout the career. And I, you know, I just think Dick did great work. I always um, think of Dick as as the equivalent of he was to DC what Marvel what's in it was to Marvel. In in his own way, yeah, yeah, yeah. that makes sense. It you know um, Dick Dick sort of furthered I guess DC's house style, which was established in the seventies. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um. All right. I'm gonna jump in. I I, I was gonna just do a quick quick agreement with Al Williamson but I, I think I have something a little more interesting but I thought of it thinking of Al Williamson because as you said Al Williamson was a really terrific penciler but in some ways was more influential and, and better even as an anchor you know as great as a penciler anchor as great as an artist he was so I'm going to name another guy who I think was also a, a phenomenal uh, penciler but God damn, was he a great inker. And that's uh, Craig Russell. Oh, yeah. P. Craig Russell. Russell mm -hmm. was a, a really started as a penciler and, and then, you know, was a sort of was a penciler inker. My guess is he was slow. I think a reason that and Steve and I have talked about this, a reason a lot of guys went into inking is because when they had to craft that page from the beginning, you know, if people know or don't know or how you know, how in the trenches they are with uh, comic book art, you know, drawing a comic page, it's not just about illustration, it's about storytelling, it's about props, it's about settings, about, it's, there's so many other elements, it's, and it's so labor intensive and mentally intensive that you have to have a real instinct for it, you can't just be a good artist, you can't just be a good illustrator, and so I think some of these guys that were terrific but slow, um became really terrific inkers russell again amazing penciler but my god when he inked uh anybody he, yes yeah. but he he inked mike golden he yeah. inked gil kane he inked uh steve ditko the thing about craig russell as an inker was that he was I, he had this uncanny, you know, sort of what Williamson, now I'm saying this, I'm saying I could, I could transpose my words about Williamson. Exactly. He had an uncanny ability to bring his own style to an artist. And yet the artist would look almost as if they inked their own work, mm -hmm. except it was just a little, a little better, a little more interesting, slightly more interesting. I know this is controversial, but I would make the argument that as great as John Buscema was inking his own work, Al Williamson inking Buscema looked like Buscema inking his own work, but a little better. Well, that's that's what, yeah, that's, that's what Craig Russell did. Craig Russell on Gil Kane, if you see him ink Gil Kane, it looks like Gil inked his own work, but a little better. Yeah. If you see him inking Ditko, and this was Ditko way past his prime, the work looks sort of like, wow, Ditko really took the time and did a great job on this. Oh, wait, it's Craig Russell. I mean, <laughs> it was, it's a really fascinating, and I think that's what Williamson had. And that's why I thought of Craig Russell because, uh, you know, Mike Mignola, another guy that Craig Russell inked and did a yeah. phenomenal job inking him where you're like, wow, Mike did a great job inking. This. Oh, wait, this, this is Craig Russell inking this. Cause it's like, it's a little bit, a little bit more interesting than normal when Mike inks his own work. Yeah. Um, so anyhow, uh, that's going to be my, uh, my number three. Hmm. Uh, whose turn is it here? It's yours. 
For, am I? Uh, I think you're four. You're four. I'm, I'm on four. Okay, I'll go on my my uh, my sideboard for a second. Uh, you know, there's there are a couple artists who cover several categories, like Kirby writing, penciling, storytelling. I think Mignola is like that too. He could be. He's a great writer. He's a great artist. Right. Um, you know, Frank certainly, Frank Miller certainly, great artist, great writer. Um, there's one guy who's great at everything. Bill Sienkiewicz. Interesting. You know, okay, he's not a he's not a writer per se, although he has written stuff. You know what you were saying about Pete Greg Russell sort of making the, the this great artist look like they inked it, but it's a little bit. Bill is Bill over everyone, but the the problem with Bill Sienkiewicz is he's a better artist than 99 percent of the <laughs> yes, people. Right. Exactly. <laughs> um, that having been said, he's not my number four. Um, oh, uh oh, a shocking twist. Yeah. Wait, ladies and gentlemen, we have a shocking twist. Everything, <laughs> sorry, everything you just said about um, Pete Craig Greg Russell, Kevin Nolan, the exact same thing. Kevin makes everybody, he, he inked a really crappy little Steve Ditko story. He made it look incredible. <laughs> and you looked at it and you go, yeah, that's Steve Ditko, but wait, it's really not. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I, just, I love I, Kevin Nolan. Yeah, I just, man, he, you know, when he inked, uh, uh, you know, Mignola and Dan Jurgens and all these guys, and he just, he brought such style and uh, just be beauty of this stuff. I, I love his work. You know, I, I, I totally agree with that. By the way, I, I completely agree with the Sienkiewicz thing, just as a little bit of a detour here. Uh, recently, I saw on Facebook, might have been the last few days, in, in fact, um, a uh, two-page splash that Kirby had penciled, which was this really amazing street scene of the Lower East Side. And I'm not entirely sure if that if that page ever got published, but Bill inked it. Bill Sienkiewicz inking Jack Kirby. Now, just that sentence alone sounds so bizarre right, 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 that right. you go, well, that's ridiculous. Except that Bill with the exception of Wally Wood and Jack Kirby better than anybody else I've ever seen. Yeah. Yeah. That's what Bill does. Bill, Bill, Bill is, and I've said this before, I'll say it again. He's the Mozart of comics. Mm -hmm. There's that great moment in Amadeus where a court composer plays his latest piece of music. And then Mozart arrogantly and uh comes in and says you know but what if you did this and he tinkles away on the piano and and uh you know said and what about this and the court composer says my god it is better yeah <laughs> think of that scene with i think of i think of bill in that way yeah yeah bill on anybody for some crazy reason and like you said it's going to look like bill is going to be better than anybody else yeah, I, I can't explain it any better than that. So is uh, Will your fourth guy? No, actually, my fourth guy was going to be Craig Russell as well. Oh, no ah, okay. Interesting. Uh, but Bill, the thing about Bill is that he's in his own category, and maybe he deserves his own Mount Rushmore. <laughs> well, you know, you know what, Pat, you know what category I put Bill. You know what Mount Rushmore category I put Bill in. If we were to like when you said. 
when you said Al Williamson, it really was interesting to me because Al Williamson was a great artist. Yes. So when you talk about the art of art, of draftsmanship, draftspersonship, that's a separate category. You put Frank Frazetta in there. You put Mac Rayboy in there. (laughs) But, you know, I I would put Bill Sienkiewicz in the greatest artists the medium has ever seen. Yeah, yeah, I get it. I get it. That's all true. Well, look, so so if you were going to say, so let me... Let me, I don't know, I, I, I've lost count. I think we're on the last one. Let me wrap up the fourth one by saying, again, something that I, I it will probably be controversial and it's probably not to your tastes, neither you guys, but I do think he was tremendously influential, influential in his day. And the reason I'm going to say this, this is a big buildup. What resonated with me, Steve, is when you said when Neil Adams came into comics, everybody suddenly wanted to draw like Neil. Yep. The inker I would put in that category for the late 70s and the early 80s was Terry Austin. Terry Austin, yeah. I I was almost going to say Terry, by the way. Terry had a very specific, clean, almost architectural style that sort of became the gold standard for inking at the end of the 70s and the early 80s. I remember uh, when I was in uh, I was in high school, senior high school and trying to figure out if I wanted to try to get into film or if I wanted to get into comic books and uh, you know uh, to draw or write or something and I remember inking my I had a friend who uh, now is an animation artist and we would trade each other's artwork and we would ink each other's pencils and stuff. And at the time, it was like everybody wanted to ink like Terry Austin. It was like, that's the guy. Look at this. What does he use? Does he use a rapidograph pen? What even is a rapidograph pen? What's happening? <laughs> like, how do, you, how do you get that ink line? How do you get that line? What, what is he doing? What's happening? You can't use a ruler on everything. How come everything's so straight and clean and and... Just the fact that he worked on, I would argue, two of the most influential books of that period, one being uh, the Marshall Rogers, Steve Englehart uh, run of Detective with Batman, where he fights the Joker and Silver St. Cloud, a a, a hugely influential run of books that Austin was the anchor on. And then, my God, he stumbles over and starts inking John Byrne on X-Men. And X-Men becomes the most popular comic book uh, on the stands for several years and almost to this day. So, you know, Austin is not a guy that is necessarily that I, that I even, quite frankly, my modern self, I, I, I don't, you know, his work doesn't resonate the way other guys do. But I remember back in the day, oh, my God who is this guy and what is he doing to these pages and how do I do it? I mean, it was, I thought he was hugely, and there's a whole generation of guys that came after him that you can see that Austin was like huge. Again, you guys talk about influence. Well, and I think that's, that's a key component. I mean, I was, I was thinking of Terry 
and you know he was my competition back in the day on a certain level and um i think probably i harbored some resentment towards his popularity but i never didn't think uh, his, I, I think his work was really crafted that rat bastard terry austin he's so well, good <laughs> I, I don't think it ever got that emotional but <laughs> but um you know it's it's uh <clears throat> he was to to the point of the mount rushmore metaphor here he was very influential that you know he made his work made a real impact and and somewhat coincidentally uh terry used to work for neil and dick at uh, continuity associates and terry started out as a background guy and you know pretty quickly wound up getting his own work and um it was just a whole different looking uh style than what we had been used to at that point and he merged really really well with others so yeah he's you know he was almost one of my guys uh no i just again i i guess i i guess when i think about this you know i don't know that terry austin's work uh holds with me in any way or resonates but goddamn, at the time i was just like well, the thing about the thing about who Terry, is who is this guy and what is he doing? Terry was a really good fit with a couple of very important guys who were breaking into the business. He was a great fit with Marshall, as you said, Mark. I think he was a great fit with John Byrne. You know, I don't necessarily think that he was the right guy for every penciler, mm -hmm. but the guys that he was well cast to, he was a great fit. And again, he was impactful in terms of how to go about inking. I mean, there was a, I, I think the first word that always comes to my mind about Terry's work is there's a certain craftsmanship to his work that was a little different. Now, personally, my, I, I tend to lean towards the same guys that Mark does. Right, I like right. guys who are a little bit more expressionistic, a little bit more illustrative guys who they, 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 the work comes out of, again, here's that word, emotionality. You know, when I think of Bill's work, there's an emotion to Bill's work whenever he inks anybody. It's it's almost like he's a, you know, he's like Errol Flynn in a, in a swashbuckler. He's just going in there and he's just whacking away with a brush or a pen. And it just, the result is beyond belief. You know, Mark and I have always talked about the fact that Bill may have the best hands in the history of comics. Uh, certainly, that could be a. That could be. I know you guys are in love with Bill Sinkavage. But, but you know and the thing still, is, and that, he's so handsome too. <laughs> <laughs> but here's, but here's, here's the other thing is that, for the purposes of our Mount Rushmore episode, Terry sort of fits a lot of the qualifying parameters. He does. He does. And you know. I think it's big of us to sort of at least agree that if a guy is not to our aesthetics to give him, to give, give certain guys their due because of their, you know, how they ink their craft, you know, what they, what they brought were, were other, I mean, listen, all of the guys in the nineties, I think, or the late eighties in many ways were influenced by Terry. I, I think they nineties to this day, I would say a guy like Scott Williams. Absolutely. Uh, 
you know, that, and he's bringing it back to more organic inking style, but I think his core basis is, a, is, is Terry Austin, you know? Yeah. I mean, he's even a guy like Jim Lee, I think to some degree in the early years was yeah. influenced by Terry's line and Terry's approach. Now Jim's stuff is a much, is much more, uh, you know, uh, expressionistic organic. Yeah. 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 I, I'm, I, you know, sorry, I'm glad you mentioned Scott Williams because He's incredibly talented. Oh my God, he's really a and he was a big deal in 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 the nineties. He's yeah, he's yeah. he's still like you know probably the number one inker after all these years. Um, uh, you know, but the thing about Terry for me is we've talked about when John Severin inked over Herb Trimpey uh, on Hulk uh, back in the what late uh, early seventies early seventies. You know, I see a real correlation between the two. And I just love that stuff. I mean, it's really, uh, Severin made Trimp look better than anybody ever did. Um, uh, you know, but I, I, but I don't put Severin in my top four inkers, just like I don't put Terry in my top four inkers. Similar reason. One last throw, uh, 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 throwing a shout out for Terry Austin. He was the only guy for years and maybe to this day who could ink Walt Simonson and make it sort of actually look like Walt Simonson. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Simonson. Yeah, Terry, Terry put his line on a pencil in a way that made it look like Terry, but Terry did not try to bury the style of the pencils. No. And um, it's, this is now, again, this is, this was my discipline when I was in comics, but I think, there's a lot more hair splitting on, on, on this topic than the previous two Mount Rushmore topics uh, because it's very, it's, it's a little more subjective, which is what I personally, I like as somebody who's, who's hosting oh, yeah. a podcast, you know, controversy and, and disagreement is oftentimes <laughs> as interesting as agreement. It but plays wait, in, it plays in Peoria covers. We got to do covers. Covers is so great. We got to come do back it. for covers. Real quick, we have to wrap up. I have to go, but real quick, oh. each of you give me your top four storytellers, oh. storytelling artists. Oh my God. Real quick. Um, there's no quick way to do that. How are we going to do that? Will Eisner, Frank Miller, Jack Kirby. It's the same, the same people. I don't well, know. Well, I, I, I would put Kubert. I would put Russ Heath. I would put Toth. And I'm going to go with Frank Miller. Um, I guess it's time to do the Mount Rushmore of cover artists uh, portion of the podcast. Um, I have a feeling there will be some repeat names in this uh, category, but still, uh, it is what it is, and it's its own thing. So um, I will start first, because I don't think I started anything. No, I was going to say, Steve, you should start. So uh, my first Mount Rushmore candidate for cover artists... Joe Kubert. Uh -huh. and, and for all the reasons that, that we kind of talked about before, that Joe created covers that were grabbers. And they were grabbers primarily because of his extraordinary sense of drama and his uh, great ability uh, as a picture maker. And just as sort of a sidebar kind of thing, he created a cover cliche that Archie Goodwin and I used to laugh about all the time, which was Joe would do the 
what we called the okay boys it's safe covered it was usually one of the dc war comics most yes, likely, i was just gonna say this most most likely most likely sergeant <laughs> but he did it on all of them and basically what it would be is somebody would be entering in a town or or a building or even caves and in the foreground near the opening of a door or a cave you would have a bunch of german or japanese soldiers just waiting to open up on the unsuspecting GIs. So uh, again, as a sidebar, because Archie and I had a good laugh about this, Archie was one of the editors of some of the DC war books back in the 70s. And so he had Kubert do one of those covers just so literally one of the soldiers could say, okay, boys, this is it, this town's safe. Or okay, boys, this cave is safe. So, but that was a Kubert uh trope fallback um but again the reason why he's my number one cover guy is the sense of of drama that he brought to virtually everything he drew including his tarzan you know his tarzan covers and even when he would occasionally do a flash cover or a batman cover joe was not the greatest of superhero guys but those covers were still very dramatic i think they were cool and you know what he did a great uh you know, the one superhero, which I think he actually sort of brought into the modern age, they, I thought he did great, was Hawkman. Oh, yeah. I, I would yeah. think nobody, for some reason, nobody seemed to be able to draw Hawkman as well as Joe Kubert. In fact, I would get, go so far as to say that whenever anybody else drew Hawkman, it looked sort of stupid. But when <laughs> Joe Kubert drew Hawkman... Hawkman looked fucking cool, but nobody else could really draw Hawkman. I don't know why, but he was great on Hawkman. Somehow Joe made Hawkman a badass where everybody else couldn't. Exactly, exactly. All right, Cy, you can go next. What's your what? Who's your number one cover guy? Uh, well, I yeah, the obvious. Uh, okay, I'm gonna do. Somebody else is gonna do this, but I'm gonna say uh, I'll do it for you, Steve. I'm gonna say Neil Adams. Yes, uh, of course. Not just because he did some iconic covers. I think the Green Lantern, Green Arrow covers he did are. You talk about impact. Oh my God! You know the Green Arrow's teenage sidekick shooting up heroin. Uh, amazing cover the black green lantern cover a lot of uh, amazing stuff but for me it's those tomahawk covers for people who don't know what we're talking about tomahawk was a oddball dc comic it was a pseudo western but it was set in the revolutionary war and tomahawk was sort of a davy crockett daniel boone character with a coonskin hat and a fringe vest and uh but Neil Adams did a series of covers in the late 60s for this book that are just staggeringly good. I mean, just amazing covers. Look them up, Google them. They're just phenomenal. Um, and uh, as you said, he was a great picture maker and a great storyteller in those. That's what that's that's one thing Kubert and Adams share as great cover artists. And Mark is a cover editor. You you I'm sure you appreciate this and, and know this. Uh, uh, upwards and downwards and backwards and forwards, part of that job of that cover is not just to create a great image, an illustration, but to tell a story in that illustration. Yeah. And that's the thing that Kubert did so well. And what uh, Adams, I think, did so well also is they could tell, they could do these great illustrations 
but also tell a story in that one illustration that just grabbed you. Yeah. Um, so that's going to be my number one cover guy is Neil. Mine is uh, Starenko, Jim Starenko. Yes, great. Um, you know, not the biggest body of work. Um, didn't do as many covers as Gil Kane or John Romita. Um, but, you know, we, we ran a contest. What's the greatest uh, cover of all time? And uh, the winning vote was that Nick Fury Shields cover of, of, of him in outer space, very influenced by, by Woody, by Wally Wood. Yeah, um, it's a great cover. Yeah. Uh, I loved his Captain America covers. There's that, one, uh, you know, he, he did a, you talk about a guy having a very, like you said, small body of work, but huge influence. He did like, what, three issues of Captain America? Yeah. Maybe, maybe four tops. And the covers are great. There's this symbolic cover of Cap and Bucky facing off against the Hulk and the Hulk looks like a giant. Yeah. So cool. Then there's a Hulk cover that he did where the Hulk is being crushed by the Hulk logo. Yeah. Hulk annual. That's incredible. And then I think that, I think that cover has been riffed more times than anything uh, with the possible exception of uh, action. Number one of Superman throwing the car. Right. Of of, of people sort of homaging that cover. Yeah, Yeah. And there's a great Captain America cover where it's sort of like a op art, graphic where it's sort of cap in a classic pose and there's figures inside of cap's bodies and there's like a color hold and yeah Dave, franco's great our friend david mandel owns that original oh of course he does yeah. uh <laughs> it's great it's great oh. yeah stranko man stranko's okay. terrific all right so my number two it'll be real simple as neil uh but to expand on what you'd already said Cy. Uh, Neil not only did those brilliant Tomahawk covers and the great superhero stuff, his Batman stuff, let's face it, amazing. He did a tremendous amount of Superman stuff, especially in the 60s. Uh, But the other covers that Neil did that showed a different side of him, and I I touched on this earlier, were the House of Mystery covers, House of Secrets covers. Also, he did these really, really interesting, subtle covers uh, you had to sort of really pay attention to the picture, uh, these Phantom Stranger covers, where the Phantom Stranger was always on the cover, but he was not always the star of that cover. Right, you know, right. Neil drew him in a way that he was a presence, but he wasn't necessarily the star of that moment or that picture. Mm-hmm. And so Neil, I think Neil certainly deserves it because he could do anything. He could do any kind of cover, especially over at DC. It didn't matter what genre or or what type of story he could do. He 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 would he would excel at everything. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, number two for you, Cy. Oh well, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with John Ramita, um, mm. because I think Ramita's Spider-Man covers. You know, I'm going to say something controversial. He's, you know, Ditko in some ways, you know, created Spider-Man, established everything about the character that basically lives on to this day. But Ramita sort of made Spider-Man mainstream. And I think he did it again. Ramita, you know, people think Ramita drew all these issues of Spider-Man after Ditko left. 
he really didn't draw, draw that many. If you look at those issues, he drew a few issues, you know, or then he would lay out an issue and then Buscema would draw it or Jim Mooney would ink it or Don Heck would draw it and Esposito would ink it. And then he, he would, you know, he, then Gil Kane would draw it and he would, and, and, and maybe Romita would ink it. It's funny, but people think he drew all those issues because he drew all the covers and the covers are phenomenal. Again, yeah. we talk about those like, you know, nine or 10 Tomahawk covers that Neil Adams drew. Holy crap. Ramita did about 40 or 50 uh, Spider-Man covers and they're just, they're like posters. Yeah, they're right. They're iconic, yeah. They're incredible. Well, and he, you know, and he didn't, as you know, he didn't just do Spider-Man. He was doing Thor and Fantastic Four sometimes. He was the art director for Marvel. He Stan, any special projects Stan had him, took him off of the draw in the comic to do. Yeah, there was just something. He was the guy that made Marvel comics uh, attractive. He, you know, he added this sort of romance. I think he came out of romance comics. Yes. So he when he when he started doing books for Marvel, everybody got really good looking all of a sudden. <laughs> and he had a good looking line and good looking design. But but God damn, those covers he did, especially on Spider-Man, are just uh, just jaw dropping to this day. Yep. So uh, Ramita is my number two guy on the cover. Uh, all right, Mark, number two for you. Uh, well, I mentioned Dave Johnson, so I'll go with Dave Johnson. Ha! I love Dave Johnson. He's the modern master when it comes to co comic book covers. My uh -huh. only complaint is Dave should, he doesn't do interiors anymore. <laughs> <laughs> hey, interiors are hard, man. That's a lot I know, of work. I know, it's true. But yeah, no, that's, I, well, it's a good modern guy. Dave is great. Dave's, you know, Dave's 100 Bullets covers. Uh, groundbreaking his Punisher covers uh, uh yeah he's he's uh, along with well I won't say my fourth guy yet but another modern guy who's who's as good as anybody Steve? all right so now I got to come up with number three and and now it starts getting into a weird area wait a minute who was your number two your number my, my number two is Neil Oh, yes. Cubert and Neil. Right. right. Neil. Number three. Number three, baby. But my number three, and it even surprises me that I say it, but I think you just have to acknowledge is Gil Kane. That, 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 that Gil was such a voice on covers at Marvel, uh, especially in the 70s. It seemed like he did almost every cover that Marvel put out. Yeah, that, you know, um, and the thing that was interesting is that Gill always had a great picture sense, a great sense of dynamics. And I think that you can't ignore what Gill brought to the dance. And I think what Gill brought to the dance was best appreciate. I, I think I appreciated the most with his covers. Now, Gill was a good storyteller, of course, but I think Gill worked a little harder um when it came to doing covers and part of the fun was a lot of times you would see all kinds of different inkers ink gill on the covers right uh, and, and part of what i liked about gill was he wasn't just a superhero cover guy he you know he did a, a ton literally a ton of western covers 
and interesting people would come in and ink those covers. Um, so yeah, I think if you're talking about Mount Rushmore and for me, the, 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 the word influ influence is an important component for getting on the Mount Rushmore of cover artists, I got to say Gil. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Gil was, I'm going to jump in and say Gil was, was my number three also for the reason you mentioned. He defined Marvel covers in a period in the 70s. I, I honestly think almost every Marvel cover for for about two or three years was I, I think it was drawn by Gil Kane. I mean, it's crazy. Every genre too. So you'd have, and it didn't matter who the interior artist. And again, like you said, Steve, his covers must have sold. The thing that he brought is action. Action. The Gil Kane covers were packed with action, right? Yep. Well, I'm, a, I'm a kid, I'm looking at those covers like, whoa, this comic's gonna be exciting. Well, you, you you know, you could also, I'm sure Marvel realized they can merchandise his stuff. The, the images were so iconic. You put them on a Slurpee cup, you put them on a puzzle. They were definitive versions of those characters. Just action, action, action. So exciting. And Steve, to your point, uh, uh, every genre, horror books, mystery books, monster books, uh you know west the westerns i think Roman. he even did some sergeant fury covers for crying oh out yeah Park. he did everything he did every there's i i swear to god i don't think i'm exaggerating if you looked up like a you know you pick say like say 1975 and and look at every marvel comic done in 1975 they all probably all have gil kane covers i mean it's crazy and and, and, I, and I, by I, the way I, by the way, let's not forget, he did a ton of covers when he was a DC guy. Yeah, yeah. In the 60s. True. He did some cool DC covers, too. Uh, an iconic cover uh, in the history of comics is Giant Size X-Men 1. Sure. The Gil Kane cover. that Dave, And it was funny, he was drawing a bunch of characters that Dave Cockrum designed, and Dave Cockrum inked the cover, but... Brand new number one. Who's our big cover guy? Gil Kane. So Gil Kane does that cover, you know. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's that's that great Spider-Man one of Spider-Man in the in the sewers with the water gushing down on his back that Ramita inked. Uh, that was Gil. Oh yeah, Gil. Gil was great. Gil. Gil did. I mean, he did Hulk covers. He. I mean, everything. Yeah. I can't think of a character that Gil didn't do. I, I like his. I, I never bought Marvel Western comics, but the um, what was that? What was their uh, character? Kid Colt or something? Yeah, Kid Colt and Kid Colt, Rawhide, Rawhide Kid. Kid yeah, Gil, Gil's versions of those were great. Oh, terrific, terrific. Yeah, no, Gil, Gil was great. All right, Mark, you're number three. Uh, I'm going to go with Steranko. I mean, I'm sorry, uh, Joe Kubert. Uh -huh. Oh, Kubert, yes. Yeah, just again. Uh, I, You know, when I first started at DC, uh, I was... I pitched a book, The Art of Joe Kubert's Covers, all his war covers. And, uh, you know, I got the green light on it and I did all the work on it and talked to Joe about it. And uh, uh, and then uh, the powers that be at DC said, yeah, we don't have the budget for that. So they killed it eventually. But uh, I, I got very intimate with Joe's body of work when it came to those war covers. Oh, they were just, oh my goodness, they were just incredible. Um, and I love Steve's thing about, you know, Steve, it was particularly a book called The Losers. Yep. It was a war book uh, called The Losers, where the it was whole... the Justice League. It was the Justice League of War books. 
Oh, were they a team of a bunch of different war characters? Yeah, yeah, it was a bunch of the the the, the second tier uh, DC war characters. That was the hook. That was hook. Every issue was like, "Come on, men, we're going across this bridge," and then underneath the bridge would be like. 300 Nazis with like blow torches and, and, <laughs> and, and then it was like, you know, this tank looks abandoned. Let's, let's get it boys. And then inside there's a Nazi with a grenade in the tank. Like that was the whole hook of that. All those covers. You're right. And they were great. They were great. Okay. So uh, we're, we're at number, number four. four, wrapping it up, Steve. Wow, this is this is the number four choice. Sometimes is is pretty crazy, but I'm gonna go with Bill Sienkiewicz. Ooh, okay. Bill Sienkiewicz brought Bill Sienkiewicz to covers in that, <laughs> and 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 I'll try to explain that, but I think that sentence explains itself. You know, Bill became very popular in the '80s. He did a lot of X Men stuff. He did the covers for the the new the new uh, new, the new mutants. Yeah, but he did other stuff, and this is where Bill kind of got really exciting to follow because he was like the sponge that he is. He was bringing all kinds of stuff to his work um, that he absorbed from other illustrators. Mixed and media, mixed media, painting, drawing. He was doing Look at a Bill Sienkiewicz cover, and you're like. I don't know how he did this or what he did it with, but it looks great. But also the other thing was his sense of design. Yeah. That, you know, he was probably looking at 1930s era um, <clears throat> illustrators who did very sort of decorative, almost design. Uh, 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 oh, boy, I'm, I'm uh, deco. He, he brought a certain almost deco sensibility. When I think of some of those Moon Knight covers he did, the way you know, the way he arranged figures and shapes, you know, and the use of space. Um, you know, Bill is just, for me, he's the great mix master of everything artistic that he ever saw that went inside of him and somehow came out through those great hands as we described. And so I think there was a period where Bill was just doing these knockout covers that yeah, were yeah. not traditional, but artistically and just in terms of more modern sensibility were very exciting not in the same way, say Kirby or Kane was exciting, or even Kubert, but but I think Bill was one of the great cover artists for quite some time. And as we've said, as crazy as it is, he's better now than he ever was. That, you know, he, he, of, must be, he, he must be taking Barry Bonds steroids because that you can't say that of anybody. I, no. I didn't know. I didn't know I was signing on to this Bill Sinkevich love fest. <laughs> I thought we were. Uh, discussing a lot of comic book artists, but <laughs> but no, well earned, well earned, all the all the love. So, all I can tell you is, by the '80s, when I was working in the business and I was a little, you know, jaded or jaundiced, every time I would see a cover by Bill, it sort of brought the inner comic book fan, you know, uh, back to the forefront of of my mind. That that I would look at it, and there was a certain I, I would get excited about what Bill could do as a as a cover artist and a picture maker. Yeah. yeah. All right, number four, Cy. Oh, it's me again. Um. Uh. So, I want to I want an asterisk shout out to Jack Kirby, who I think through his career did a lot of great covers, 
but I think we've covered Kirby and his influence uh, earlier on this podcast, and I'm sure we'll cover him on other podcasts. So I want to say my number four guy is Nick Cardi. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, phenomenal illustrator. Also uh, fits the bill of, of that storytelling in a single image. Did a lot of, in, well, did a certain amount of interior work, but I think similar to Ramita, um, really made his mark as a cover artist. Uh, he did a, when he was the interior artist, as well as the cover artist, he did a run of uh, Aquaman covers that, you know, who cares about Aquaman? Now people love Aquaman, but these covers he did were just, I thought, phenomenal. There's a cover that still to this day haunts me of uh, the oceans of dried up. And it's basically Aquaman standing there. I think he's holding his wife is like, gasping for air or something and all the sea life is just sort of melting and and dripping and it's just the most surreal and and just stark and dramatic cover one of the great covers i've ever seen he also uh there's a great he did a run on brave and the bold where he did a lot of batman well he actually did a lot of batman covers and then he he was sort of dc's you know after neil adams uh stop he, he, he kind of he kind of was dc's cover guy in the latter part of the 70s he was, yes he was dc's version of of ramita or gil kane where i think he was slow so he 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 had a trouble being having a a, a a lot of impact as an interior artist but boy his covers were really phenomenal again superheroes he did great batman covers he did great superman covers the flash uh, even westerns. There's a, a, a short-lived DC western called Batlash. Yeah, a great, a great comic, a truly yeah. great comic. And great, then great Nick cover. did. I think Nick did a lot of the interiors also. But boy, those covers were terrific, terrific. Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny because, uh, again, as a Marvel kid, I never heard of Nick Cardi, mm -hmm. and then I and then I became a pro and I met him at a convention. He and his wife, they were such nice people. Uh, so when I got home, I looked them up. And I was amazed at how good he was. Yeah, you were like, holy I, moly, this guy's I incredible. I had never heard of him. I had never seen his stuff. Really great stuff. And, and the stuff was also very appealing. Yes. Yeah. In the way Ramita sort of brought appealing to, uh, to Marvel, Cardi also did a lot of romance work. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes. Well, that's your thing about, yeah, you know what? Maybe instead of Gil Kane, the analogy is Ramita because... He did make all these DC characters look attractive. Like he was able to, you know, Neil made them all realistic. And then Nick Cardi came along and Nick Cardi's work had a certain amount of uh, sort of advertising illustration. Very commercial. Yeah, very well, right? commercial stuff. But then he, like Ramita, he made everybody good looking, you know, yeah. and there's even the, the heroes were all very attractive and the women and it, it just, yeah, no, it's, he, he was, he did a, amazing job. well that was the knock on ramita is that he made peter parker look too handsome <laughs> wasn't the nerdy <laughs> steve ditko guy right that's true okay mark number four oh, no, wait you. was that i'm sorry sorry was that your fourth or was yeah that, that was my fourth yeah. i had i had neil adams ramita gil kane and nick cardi was my fourth with a little oh, i thought you gave an that I thought you gave an asterisk shout out to somebody. Yeah, that was to, to Kirby, a, a Kirby shout out. Right. I okay. wanted to do a little shout out to Jack. But, but All right. 
Okay. Uh, okay. So I'm giving my asterisk shout out to Michael Golden, those great Batman covers. Oh yeah. And, and great. Yeah, no. Yeah. Yes. Uh, Micronauts, cool covers. Yeah. Dr. Strange. He did a few great covers for Dr. Yeah. Strange, but you're right. This, he did a series of Batman covers that are, well, uh, remember fellas, we're going to engrave these faces into a rock, into a mountain. Sorry. Right, so who's your real number four? I, I'm not done with my asterisk shout outs. I have oh. to, <laughs> come to learn that I have at least seven asterisk. Uh, Michael Golden, Mike Mignola does killer covers. Howard Chaikin, um, Josh yeah. Middleton, a real modern, great guy, a great yeah. illustrator. Alex Ross, you know, people. Good shout people, out. Good. I was thinking of that. Good shout out. Yes. Art, Art Adams. People love Art Adams. Um, hey, Bernie Wrightson. He did some killer covers. Yeah. Um, James Jean, uh, you know, who sort of dipped into that fine art world. Uh, my last shout out is Busema, that, that great vision cover um, and the Thor versus the Silver Surfer cover. They're about to crash into each other. Oh, sure. Um, but my my fourth is Adam Hughes. You know, that's funny. Adam Hughes was rolling around my my list also. Um, yeah, for a modern guy in terms of covers, you're absolutely right. Not I, always, I, I always find it funny. The thing about Adam is everybody goes, oh, he just draws women. He draws great guys. He draws great uh uh, male characters and and the best women ever in the history of comics that's true uh yeah adam's great i mean adam's an incredible cover artist another and and influential think yes. of a think of a bunch think of the guys whose styles were influenced by the way adam draws a lot yeah 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 no it's true no he's great that's a good pick i mean he's still to this day doing uh, you know, he gets sort of typed as a good girl artist, right? Is drawing mm -hmm. these women, but within more that, than that. well, I was going to say within that uh, brand, he does really interesting, innovative stuff. He's been doing covers for Marvel's, I um, mean, as we talk in 2022, the tail end, he's doing, or I guess the fall, he's been doing covers for a Black Widow series at Marvel. Oh, of course, he's doing Black Widow. Black Widow is supposed to be an attractive woman. Of course, we get Adam Hughes. But these covers are very design heavy. Yeah, and they're real film noir, dark kind of thing. Yeah, they're really interesting. So the, like you said, he's not just a pinup artist. He's really a phenomenal designer and great at doing something we've been talking about with covers. That sort of that great single image that also tells a story. Yeah. You know? um yeah no adam hughes is great he's a good he's a good choice well uh, fellas i think we've covered it we've I think covered the mount rushmore <laughs> amazing you know uh the mount, the mount rushmore pot of comics podcast or as i could subtitle it gas bags on parade <laughs> uh, yeah anyway uh for you out there who've listened to this i hope you enjoyed it and you found it interesting and that it will inspire you like I'm sort of inspired to revisit a lot of these covers and just sort of soak them in one more time. You know, I don't know how you guys feel about it. Oh, but. yeah. Forget it. It's it's uh, it's cool. I mean, look, the whole joke is. And Mark, you 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 know this better than anybody, because this is what you did for years and years and years. You know, we sort of slight the cover because it's like everybody talks about, oh, the great Kirby story or the the great art by this guy but the cover is really 
is certainly for the majority of the history of comics, the cover is what sold the comic book, you know? Yeah, I mean, Stan, you know, Stan was quoted as saying, the comic book is the poster. That's how you, uh, I mean, the cover is the poster. That's how you sell what's inside that comic. Even so much as I heard a story, Steve, and maybe it's not true, but it sounds like it was true, that in the heyday of DC Comics, a lot of times they would come up with the cover first and then say, okay, they would come up with the idea, okay, uh, Batman uh, is lying in the Batmobile and the Batmobile has crashed off a cliff. Uh, great, come up with a story to match that cover. <laughs> or my, un my understanding is that that was probably mostly true. Uh, I don't know if it was always true back in the 60s because I was just a, a, an extremely young fanboy then. But DC uh, shared a somewhat similar attitude towards the covers that Stan had, that they were the they were the posters for the movie that would be inside the issue. And and by the way, I'll tell you one quick cover story, and then I think we all need to say goodnight. Uh, when I was a kid... If I had money to buy a comic, I almost always bought, before the Marvel thing became a big deal, uh, I would usually buy war comics because I always was, I found them more compelling. I found they were like watch, they were like reading little movies. Uh, I love the artists. But I remember one day seeing a copy of The Flash at my local newsstand. And the image on the cover was the Flash tied to a giant boomerang. And Captain Boomerang is going to say, well, I'm never going to see you again because I'm going to launch you in outer space or some nonsense <laughs> like that. And I just I said, wow, Flash is tied to a giant boomerang. This is great. So I'd spend my 10 cents on the comic instead of buying Sergeant Rock or G.I. Combat or, you know, Star Spangled War Stories or whatever. And I got the comic home and I read the story and it was just like so dull. <laughs> it, was, it was so boring and i'm going damn it they stole my money with that cover you know this was uh, the curse of the dc formula steve yeah. i also had this experience many times with those dc books in the 60s where you these covers would just be so cool like oh my god the justice league is fighting a giant dinosaur and then the writer could not figure out how to work this insane cover image in the story. So there'd be one panel in the book yep. with the dinosaurs. Yep. Yeah, and you'd be absolutely. like, wait a minute. <laughs> all right, all right. You two guys told your quick cover story. I'm going to tell my quick. Absolutely. Uh, you know, you're, you were talking about, Cy, you were talking about how the Julie Schwartz method of coming up with an image for the cover and then they, and then they write the insides. Right. I said to uh, Dan Raspler was an editor at DC. I, he used to edit uh, Justice League when Howard Porter was doing it with Grant Morrison. And I said to, we went, uh, he and I, Dan and I went out to lunch with Julie Schwartz, who was still on staff once a week, uh, one day a week on Mondays. Uh, and we had such a great time that when we got back, I said, dude, we should do one of, the, let's come up with one of those covers and we'll have Grant Morrison write the story about around this thing. <laughs> and I said, and, I, and without him saying yes or no, immediately I said, I already have the cover. It's picture this, Dan. It's Abraham Lincoln, Lincoln standing around the dead bodies of the Justice League, and Lincoln is holding a glass of water in his hand. And the word balloon is, "Gee, how could this simple glass of water have killed Earth's mightiest heroes?" <laughs> <laughs> and 
Dan goes, it's brilliant, but we're not doing it. <laughs> oh my God. That's amazing. Oh, there's so there's so many like that. That's so funny. I wish they would have done it, Mark. I thought you were gonna tell me you did it. And then Grant Morrison came up with some brilliant, insane story. No, I don't think that. I don't think Dan even mentioned it to Grant. Oh, it was what just a too, tragedy! It what was too tragedy. wacky. I, I still tragedy. have I still have the little sketch I did. <laughs> no, like Lincoln, Lincoln's got his big top hat on, and he's sort of scratching his head. <laughs> That's incredible! Oh my God! I All wish right, boys, I'm done for the night. Guys, thank you so much for uh, it was fun. For, for uh, determining four different versions of Mount Rushmore in the, in the last uh, in the last couple of hours, uh, it was fun as usual, and I look forward to doing uh, another one of these podcasts with you both very very soon. And to you out there, thank you so much for listening and supporting us on Patreon. Uh, as they say on TV, tell a friend. Thanks for listening.